The Messages, a podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel, Maryland, teaching you to love God, love our neighbors, and love the nations. Here's Pastor Brent Brewer. I'm Brent, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, it's great to have you here today. And uh, if you're a guest, we, uh, we especially, we warmly welcome you. And uh, we're actually in a, in a series on, uh, on the book of Proverbs. And uh, Rudy just read for us some of the passages, and we're going to uh, we're going to dive in here for a few minutes in the book of Proverbs. And uh, we've got a few weeks left in the series, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying it. And uh, we we look forward to uh, to what God's going to teach us today. I want to start off by asking this question: um, Don't you uh, don't you hate it when you go to church and the pastor starts talking about money? Um, I don't, so that's why we're talking about it today. All right. <laughs> That's where we're going. Um, so don't grab your wallet and uh, run for the car. Uh, just hang in there. The reason we talk about money uh, is because we love people. And some of you, uh, the decisions that you make, some of the, the stresses that you feel in life have to do with, with financial decisions. So today I have uh, two, two big thoughts about money that I wanna give you right up front. First is this, most people don't handle money very well. Is that true? Yeah, I think it's true. And the second one is this, uh, most people want more money than they have. Yep, huh? All right, if you don't, uh, come see me afterwards. I'll gladly take some of yours from you, all right? Um, you know, as, as Americans, we live in the most prosperous nation in the world, but no one seems to have as much money as they want. You may or may not need more money, but I can tell you one thing that you do need. Uh, you do need more wisdom. Like, even if you get a lot of money, it isn't gonna help you unless it is accompanied by wisdom. Uh, there was a study done among those who had won the lottery. And I know some of you, like, like that's your thing. Like you pray to Jesus and you buy lottery tickets. And um, you know, we have one of our pastors here on our staff, one of our elders, and uh, he has a ministry to the Laurel Racetrack. No, he really does have a ministry to the racetrack, all right? If you tell Pastor Gus that I said that, uh, I am going to deny it, right? But, um, but what the study showed about the, uh, about the lottery is that three to five years after winning the lottery, uh, it increases your chance for filing for bankruptcy. Um, you can get a lot of money, but if you don't get a lot of wisdom, it's not gonna last very long. So the reason that we're, we're talking about money is because we love God and we love people and we ultimately want you to understand your wealth. So today I want you to understand your possessions from, uh, from God's perspective. And so the first thing I want to do is I want to look at three shovels, three shovels that dig your hole. Three shovels that dig your hole. When you talk to someone who's in debt, sometimes they say this, I'm in a hole. I'm in a hole. Uh, and here's what happens at various points in your life. Someone is going to hand you a shovel to dig your grave. Proverbs 22.7 says this. We're gonna look at a number of, of Proverbs today. It says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. 
Do you all know what the golden rule is? You know what the golden rule is? The golden rule is that he who has the gold makes the rules, right? Um, in other words, the person like who's in control uh, of the assets, who controls the assets, is really in control. Like we are a nation that that prides itself on freedom, but we have financial slavery. Now, I would encourage you to not run your personal finances like our government does. There is no wisdom in that. Like we live in a nation where people are enslaved financially and God, he wants you to be free totally and completely. If you are a slave, whoever your master is, they make all of your life decisions. This is what financial debt does, it enslaves you. People say, well I would take a day off, but I need to work seven days a week because I just can't get ahead. Well then you, you might be enslaved to finances. Or I'd really like to take this opportunity, but I can't because I, I haven't saved anything up to, to, to take a few days off to, to pursue this opportunity that I believe the Lord has put in front of me. All of a sudden what happens when you become entrapped financially, your biblical convictions, your highest priorities get skewed. So these are three shovels uh, that the world will offer you to, uh, to dig your own hole. Here's the first one, car debt, car debt. Um, you're all gonna go out now, I know as soon as I say that, you're all gonna go out in the parking lot and see who drives what car and then wonder like how much do they owe on that vehicle, right? But, but car debt is like a shovel that, that we can dig. The average American that buys a new car borrows $31,000. The average person that buys a used car borrows $21,000. This is at a very high interest rate. Now what you're looking at is a car payment of four to $500. That's not counting insurance and uh, maintenance and repairs and uh, fuel, it's a massive crisis and problem. So sometimes car debt, that's a shovel. Here, here's the second shovel, college debt. If you graduate from a public university with a bachelor's degree, your average debt is $27,000. That's what statistics tell us. If you graduate from a, from a private college with a bachelor's degree, your average debt is $32,000. If you take that bachelor's degree and you add onto it a, a, some level of higher education, a master's, a doctorate, average debt for graduate school, $84,000. Average debt for law or medical school graduates, $187,000. So college debt cripples young people. So be careful of car debt. I'm gonna move this further because I, I really wanna get into this sermon. Sorry, the musicians will yell at me later, but I won't be around. All right, so uh, there's, there's car debt, and there is, uh, there's, there's college debt, and here's the third C I wanna give you, credit card debt. Uh, credit card debt is the Greek word for demon. So let, let's say that you have like, Twenty to thirty thousand dollars in car debt. You got thirty to thirty-two thousand in college debt, and then you add to that credit card debt. The average credit card debt, the average credit card in America is at sixteen percent interest rate. If you go to a drug cartel, you will get a better percentage on your investment. 
Like hard money from the mafia uh, is not at a 16% margin. So the average American has almost $7,000 in credit card debt. Then you go and you marry someone who has the same debt. How long will it take you to get out of that hole? You will start at $100,000 in debt. It's gonna take you a while to get out of that hole. Now some of you think, I'm gonna get a degree, I'm gonna get a good paying job, that's what they tell you. All right, they're liars. Okay, it's, that's not always how it works. Once you start working, you gotta pay for a wardrobe, your housing costs increase, you gotta pay for food and eating out, increased living expense. Not everything that you make is going to go into that margin. So if you can avoid car debt and college debt and credit card debt, you will be light years ahead of everyone else. Actually, 10 years ahead of everyone else. I want you to think about that. It will take you, if you have that kind of debt, it will take you 10 years just to get to broke. So you can save one, month, one day money to buy a home and afford kids. It's very discouraging because the world in its wisdom does not know God. Fools think about a good time. Wise people think about leaving a good legacy. Like if you had to choose between money and wisdom, choose wisdom. Because wisdom will help you make money and keep money. Money doesn't necessarily buy you wisdom. So these three shovels can dig your financial grave. Here's the second thing I wanna look at today, three perspectives on possessions. First of all is this, what's mine is mine. There's a lot of people that have that attitude. That's a very selfish attitude. What's mine is mine. Proverbs chapter one, verse 19 says this, such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. The, these are greedy people. They say what's mine is mine and, and the, I'm only gonna get happier if I, if I gather more stuff. These are people who don't give to the Lord's work, but they could. They could help their kids, but they don't. They could help their parents, but they don't. They're selfish. What's mine is mine. The second category is what's yours is mine. This is, this is actually like stealing, okay? Proverbs 30, 15 says, the leech has two daughters. Give, give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. I got a picture of a leech for you. Do you know what a leech does? Uh, it sucks the blood out of the hosts, right? There, there are some people who think what's yours is mine. Therefore, you owe me, you need to pay me. And literally what they do is they suck resources from other people. Now, these people can prey on well-meaning church people. You know, some people will, will have what I call deferred maintenance. You know what deferred maintenance is? Like their house is falling apart for years and years and years. They don't fix anything. Their car is falling apart for years and years and years. They don't fix anything. And then like the roof's caving in and the car's dying and they, they come to the church and they're like, no, please help me. Why aren't you guys bailing me out? Uh, you guys need to fix the problem. But unless they learn wisdom, it will repeat itself. 
So what's mine is mine is a philosophy. What's yours is mine is a philosophy. But, but here's the third philosophy. What's mine is his. This is called stewardship. A steward recognizes that God's the owner and I'm the manager and I oversee God's portfolio. I want you to look at the second part of Proverbs 21, verse 26. It says this, the righteous give and don't hold back. In other words, there is just this like generosity that, that flows from them. Now, if you believe everything you have is yours, you will be asking this question, God, why do I need to give what's mine? But you know the car that you drive, the shoes that you wear, the credit card in your, in your wallet, whatever's in your checking accounts, whatever's in your retirement account, if you assume that it all belongs to God, it will be a lot easier to give. And if you're a new Christian, we welcome you. The Bible does talk a little bit about giving and it says that, that here's a starting place for giving. I want, I want you to, to see this. God says this, he says, it's all mine, 100% is mine, but he says, uh, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to give you 90%, you get to keep that, and I get to take 10%. That's a pretty good split, isn't it? Now, now I wanna break it down to you like this. And each one of you are welcome to do this after the service, and uh, you're welcome to do this anytime throughout the week because I'm a cheerful receiver. But uh, if you come up to me on the way out and you shake my hand and you say, uh, Pastor Brent, uh, I wanna give you $1,000. Again, all of you are welcome to do that, okay? And uh, I would love that, it'd be a blessing to me. Um, but let's say you come up and you give me $1,000, but when you hand me $1,000, you say, I'm gonna hand you that $1,000, but here's what I need you to do. You need to give me back $100 of it. I don't know about you, but I do that every day, all day. See, God owns everything. We are to store it as the manager, that which he is the owner. That means when we are making financial decisions, we are actually asking God, God, what do you want me to do with your money? I'm not telling him, here is what I need you to do, and then I need you to bless it. So these are some perspectives on, on, on possessions. But now, I wanna give you four perspectives on finances. If you didn't know it, this year is an election year, right? Yippee, all right? Um, election cycle, uh, I don't know where you fall on that, and I'm not getting into that, but here's what I am gonna say. Election years turn into class warfare every time. Here's what I mean by that. There are some people who come along and say, we need to unburden those who are wealthy and affluent so they can flourish and pull everybody else up with them because when the tide rises, all the boats rise. There are other people who say, no, no, they are all greedy rich people. We need to tax them and if you are poor, vote for me and I'll give their money to you. So what happens is, is that there's these, these terms that we think of, rich and poor. The Bible, though, thinks in these terms, godly and ungodly. By godly and ungodly, I am meaning how do you get your money and how do you spend your money? 
If you get your money in a godly way and you spend your money in a godly way, you are a godly person. If you get your money in an ungodly way and you spend your money in an ungodly way, you are an ungodly person. So I wanna look at four categories four perspectives on finances. First of all, there are those people in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, that, that are called ungodly poor. Proverbs 10.4 says this, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. See, laziness is ungodliness, and the result is poverty. They are not a victim. So someone comes up to me and says something like this, I don't have any money. So I would say something to them like that, this, do you have a job? Do you work? And they're like, no. And then I say, well, you might wanna pray about that. There might be a connection there, right? So there's, there's the ungodly poor, but there's also the godly poor. Proverbs 28, six says, better is the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich who distorts right and wrong. There are people that love Jesus, that love the Lord, that love the Bible, and, and they're poor. And God loves them, and they love God. And there's nothing wrong with being godly and poor. But there's also people that are ungodly and that are rich. Proverbs 15, 27 says, the one who profits dishonestly troubles his household. They don't, they don't love God, they don't love people, they love money. They don't use money to love people, they use people to make money. They are greed motivated, not God motivated. And the Bible speaks against the ungodly rich. But then there's another group of people and they are the godly rich. Proverbs 10.22 says this, the Lord's blessing and riches, he adds no, no painful effort to it. So these people say, I love Jesus, I work hard, I try to be a good sword, and God just has really blessed me. And what the godly rich will say is, God has been very generous to me, thank you Jesus. So there are these like four categories of people in scripture that the Bible describes. Now here's what I wanna ask you right now. Which one of these was Jesus? Which one of these was Jesus? Well obviously he's one of the godly two, right? Because he's God, all right? So now you got, was, was Jesus godly rich? Or was Jesus godly poor? Yeah, the correct answer is yes. He was godly rich and he was godly poor. You might say, how was he godly rich? Well, right now he's in heaven and he's sitting on a throne and he has a scepter and he's a king and uh, right in front of his throne are streets of gold. I would say if you live on a street and out in front of your street that you paved is streets of gold, I would say you're pretty rich, amen? But when Jesus came to this earth, he was also poor. You know, he was born in a poor family. Jesus was actually like a homeless person. The Bible says he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. So if you see Jesus today, if either he returns or you go to see him, how will we see him today? Poverty or riches? I believe we'll see him in riches that he will lavishly and generously share with us. So what's the point? You and I can be like Jesus and be rich, or we can be like Jesus and be poor. The question is not, are you rich or are you poor? The question is, are you becoming like Jesus? See, if you love the Lord and God gives you a lot, be a good steward of it. If you love the Lord and God gives you a little, be a good steward of it. 
See, I, I, don't, I don't care if you are rich or poor, I want your needs met because I love you, but at the end of the day, I just want you to be godly. And if you and I, if we focus on wealth instead of our God, eventually we will become ungodly. All right, so that brings me to my fourth point. You need to have a financial plan. Proverbs is gonna teach us you need to have a financial plan. Now, some of you um, are financial planners, right? Like I'm speaking your love language. Uh, You have accepted Dave Ramsey into your heart, all right? You have a great start. For for some of you, though, what I'm about to say is uh, it's gonna be new information, so here we go. Proverbs 21, verse five says, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who's reckless certainly becomes poor. Now I'm gonna give you some pastoral advice right now, you ready? Don't miss it. Get rich quick schemes don't work. They don't work. There is no shortcut. So you need plans, and you need to be diligent to work your plan. See, lack of delayed gratification is what destroys your plan. Maybe you got a plan, you're like, but I really want that. My heart's really set on that. I don't have the money for that, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get a credit card, I'm gonna put it all on the credit card, and then I'll pay for it later. Yeah, you are gonna pay for it later. And delayed gratification is something that, that we struggle with when, we come, when it comes to plans. Proverbs 15, says this, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So the Bible says when you're putting your plan together, you need to put people together with wisdom, and probably in this case, those with financial wisdom. We need financial advisors. We actually use that term today in our culture, don't we? Financial advisors, there it is in Proverbs. We need to be humble enough to invite people in. Sometimes we say, uh, I don't want people peering into my business. Well then choose wise people that you can trust. So I got this guy, and uh, right now he's in the middle of, uh, of doing my taxes. Uh, he's, been, he's been doing my taxes for like, I think this is his 21st year. And he, he's a CPA, he was a pastor at one point, his wife is a lawyer, so the way I look at it is, if I get in trouble, I've got a pastor, a CPA, and a lawyer all on the same line, right? I'm in good shape, right? So either, either he or his wife, Sharon, they can, they can help me with any questions that I have. But, but here's the thing that Alex does with me every year, and he's, he's one of my good friends. I haven't seen Alex in like 15 years. But what Alex does is, he looks at my stuff, all my financial stuff, and he's like, you did what? You spent money where? How did you invest here? Why did you invest your money there? What's wrong with you? And I let Alex look into my life financially. He knows everything. And he asked me difficult questions from a godly perspective. He asked me, you know, about my giving. He asked me about my spending. And I let Alex, as a godly man, ask me those questions. Now, Alex, Alex isn't the only one who has insight into my finances. There are a couple other people, they know everything about my finances. 
We need godly people in our lives to help us figure out this most important part of our lives. We need godly counsel. We need people to encourage us and to help us and to correct us when we're wrong. Here's what Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. See, when you and I make a plan, we have to bring it to the Lord. God, is this in agreement with your word? Is this in agreement with your principles? Lord, I've sought counsel, I have a plan, I wanna work it diligently. I'm asking you to bless this because I'm going to do this the best that I can. So, this brings me to my fifth question. I got this one and one more. Here's question number five today. Where should your money go? So some of you, you're sitting on a wad right now, and uh, you're like, where should my money go? And uh, you came to the right place today, because I'm gonna tell you exactly where it ought to go. And uh, you know, you're, you can be relieved, you can say, man, I thank the pastor, he's telling me where my money should go, what a great guy. So you can thank me later. Um, but here's, uh, here's where your money should go. First of all, here's where your money should go, God. Your money should first go to God. You and I are supposed to give to the Lord first. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. In other words, that's your first and best. See, if God, are you listening? If God is first in your life, God should be first in your finances. If God is not first in your finances, then God is not first in your life. See, ultimately, when we are managing God's money, we need to seek the Lord, give to the Lord, consider the Lord. And on the issue of tithing, let me say this. In the Old Testament, it speaks of tithe as 10%. I believe that the scripture teaches that 10% should go to your local church. Where you are shepherded, where you are fed, where you are cared for, where you're serving. So, uh, so that's, that's what I do. Like My first 10%, it gets deposited right here at First Baptist because I believe that is God's command. Now, I've been doing that since I was 22 years old from the first month that Pam and I were married. So we got married July 11th, 1992. Uh, August 1st, man, we started tithing and giving above the tithe, and we've been doing it every month since. Praise be to God, we've never missed a month all these years. That's where God's command initially starts. But if you read the Old Testament, if you go through here, you're gonna see all kinds of other offerings in the Old Testament. You're gonna see all kinds of other gifts. And, and people have tallied this up before. But in the Old Testament, they had to give between 25 to 27% of their income to God in total. That's significant, isn't it? But Jesus comes along, and he only talks about tithing one time, one occasion. Here's what Jesus says about tithing. He says, Tithing, tithing's fine, but you also need to love people and seek justice. He doesn't rebuke them for tithing. He, knowledge, he acknowledges they're good with money, but they're really bad with people. So here's my point. Don't just give your money to God, give your heart. And give your heart to love people and seek justice for them. That's part of giving to God. But here's, here's the second thing you ought to give to. God is one. Number two, government. 
Romans chapter 13, verse seven, it says, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those who we owe honor. Now, if you are not a Christian today, this is how we know that man didn't write the Bible and God did. Because no man would, would say, let's put something in there about taxes. That would never happen. <laughs> this is how we know God wrote the Bible. You know, I know Christians who don't pay their taxes. I know some pastors who don't pay their taxes. Uh, ultimately, uh, there is a government, we need to honor it, whether we agree with it or not, and pay our taxes. Now, every church I've pastored, and, and there isn't anyone in this church that I know of, and I probably won't know because after I tell this story, nobody will come to me. But um, other churches that I've pastored, there's always like one, there's always one joker in the church who come to me and challenge me. Maybe you wanna challenge me, I'm open for it. And they'll come to me and they'll say something like this. I read the Constitution. I read the Declaration of Independence. We are not required to pay taxes. I don't think the IRS was the founding father's vision, I am not going to pay them. And then I respond to them by saying, you are going to do prison ministry from the inside then. <laughs> All right, you, you have got to pay your taxes. I mean, do you have a choice to, go, to give to the government? Like when you buy a property, they don't give you a choice. Here's a nice thing though about God. God, when we give to God, he gives us a choice because he wants us to give out of love. He doesn't want us to give just out of law. So where should your money go? God, government, but here's third of all, expenses. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. Don't be one of those who enter agreements who put up security for loans. That's good advice, isn't it? Like you're agreeing to a financial obligation that's overextending you or you're putting yourself in harm's way to co-sign for someone who's irresponsible. The last part of the verse, verse 27 says this, if you have nothing with which to pay, even your bed will be taken from you. What does that mean? You overextend yourself financially, this is like your car gets repossessed. This is where you get an eviction notice from your residence, but you have some life needs. You and I, we need a place to, place to sleep, don't we? We need food to eat, uh, we probably need transportation, but ultimately if we overextend ourselves, our debt load will start to impact our ability to meet basic needs. And we all have basic needs. But, but let me just say this, that uh, now I'm gonna do a little bit of meddling, can I do that? Um, you're not gonna stop me because I got the mic. Um, you know, if you are overextending yourself financially, and um, you go and buy a $6 coffee every day. Listen, um, I'm not buying a $6 coffee every day unless the Holy Spirit is in there. <laughs> I mean, what, what is in that coffee? Goodness. Um, now, it's nice to treat yourself every once in a while. I do that too, it's, it's fine. And uh, some of you can do that and you're not overextending yourself. But, but if you're overextending yourself, like, like there was this dude in my last church, him and his wife were constantly in financial trouble. And we helped and we helped and we helped them. And every Sunday morning, he would come in with his $6 coffee. And he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. I said, dude, listen to me. We have coffee in the lobby of the church. 
drink our coffee, it's free. I said, bring your cup and fill it up, it's okay, it's all good. All right, I'm done meddling, all right? But, but we have some responsibilities. Now listen, it's okay to have a safety net. I have a safety net. Like I have life insurance and I still trust in Jesus. Okay, why do I have life insurance? Because my responsibility to Pam and the kids is my responsibility whether I'm dead or alive. Their needs are unchanged even if my status is changed. It's good to have some savings. Some say it's good to have six months of cash in an acceptable account. Why? If you get sick, you lose your job. I read this week 40% of American adults do not have the cash on hand for a $400 emergency. Do you know what that means? That means if your check engine light comes on, it's a nuclear crisis. Like if your kids need braces, you're homeless. See, savings is little by little. People tend to think, no, I'm just in a season. It's just a season right now. No, it's actually a lifestyle. A lifestyle needs to change because a season never will. Proverbs 30, 25, I love this verse. Ants, ants are not a strong people, yet they store up their food in the summer. Little by little, diligence, they save it up. Do you know what this means to us? Year 2020, compounded interest. It is your friend. Don't access it, let it grow. Let it multiply like the fishes and loaves in the hands of the little, of the little boy. Here's the last question I wanna, or actually I got a couple more things I wanna say. Inheritance. Proverbs says this, 1322, a good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren. Woohoo! All the grandkids in the service are like, life verse, granddad. Uh, the key to wealth is how to extend it generationally. This takes a lot of wisdom. This is why if you give money to your kid and not wisdom, what happens? They spend all the money. It's not about the money. It's about wisdom. You've all seen this bumper sticker. I'm gonna put it up here, right? You've all seen this. Uh, we are spending our kids' inheritance. All right, you ready? That bumper sticker is godless. Doesn't have God in it. Now, some of you will be scraping it off of your, of, your, of your car when you go out now, right? But you know what a godly person thinks? A godly person will say, you know what? How can I help my kids? How can I help my grandkids? You know, it's like a track meet. You're handing off the baton. You don't want them to drop the baton. You want them to start off in a more advantaged position than you did. Say, so how can I ensure that? Start a college fund. You're like, I don't know if my kids are going to college. Well, then transfer it to your grandkids. People come to you and say, uh, hey, I don't know what to get your kids. They have all the toys, all the video games. They have everything. I don't know what to get. How about making a contribution to their college fund? I'll tell you, they may not appreciate when they're two years old, but they'll appreciate it when they're 22. See, we don't learn these things in school or from the example of our government, let God be true and every man a liar, their thing ain't working, so do something different. I want you to live financially in a godly way. That includes being content as well. Here's my last question and I'm done. Why should Christians give generously? Why? Because God takes our worst and gives his best. You, know, you all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he what? 
that he gave. See, see, loving is giving and giving is loving. If you're not giving, you're not loving. I love God. If you don't give, you don't love God. You say, I love my spouse. If you don't give to your spouse, you don't love your spouse. You say, I love my kids. If you don't give to your kids, you don't love your kids. See, giving is loving and loving is giving. Love is not just what you feel. Love is what you do. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, the greatest gift given in the history of the world is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, that's amazing. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not only is this something that's good for your life, it's good for your eternal life. This gift God gives of salvation and forgiveness and grace and new beginnings through Jesus Christ is an eternal return on investment. So some of you here, you're not Christian. How much does God want you to give? Are you ready? 100% of all your sin. That's what he wants. Before, uh, before God wants your money, he wants your sin. Before he wants your best, he wants your worst. He only wants a little bit of your best. He wants all of your worst. See, Jesus Christ lived without sin. He died in your place for your sin to pay your spiritual debt to God. And if you receive Jesus, he takes all of your sin and he trades it in for all of his righteousness. And that is credited to your account for all eternity. I mean, that's amazing. See, Matthew 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, your heart internally follows your financial decisions externally. If you don't have a heart for your spouse, start spending some money. Come on, wives. Amen, huh? Yeah, I'm helping you out. Jump in, all right? Um, Go on a date night. Like, you are either gonna spend money on date nights or divorce attorneys, I'm gonna say this, you're gonna spend it. You're like, I don't like date nights. Well, plan a better date night, guys, come on. See if you can fix that. If you want your heart to be toward your spouse, be generous toward them. If you want your heart to be generous to our church and the Lord, then give in that direction, and your heart will follow that direction. So I was thinking, why do I give to FBCL? Why, why do I give? Here's why I give. First of all, I love God. That's why I give. Second of all, I love people. Third of all, I love the gospel to the nations. The fourth reason I give is to keep the light on in here. Notice I didn't say keep the lights on. There are plenty of churches today that are opening their doors and there's 10 or 15 or 20 people walking in those doors and they got the lights on, but the light isn't on. I wanna keep the light of Jesus Christ shining in this place. See, it was passed to us over the last 128 years and it is our responsibility as members of the body of Christ to keep that light shining for the next century. That's not the pastor's response. That's your response. That's all of our responsibilities. I want to keep the light on here. I also give because it changes how I view money in other areas. See, I can't take it with me. See, giving is a blessing. Acts 20, 35 says this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
See, in our world, wisdom says, doesn't say it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's false teaching that says, if you give God, if you give, God will bless you and cause you to prosper. See, you don't give to get a blessing, you give and giving is the blessing. See, God is the most generous, he is the most cheerful, he is the most blessed giver, and if I can get you to be a giver, do you know what you're gonna give? Your money, your time, your words, your skills, your presence. See, here's the great thing. You and I, we can be a means by which grace and love and the power of God is shared with others. And I'm just gonna give you a little hint. It is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's joyful. It's the right thing to do. Because God is right. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Messages Podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel. Want to get a hold of us or know more about us? Go to our website, fbclaurel.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use FBC Laurel. If you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, join us at one of our services on Sunday at 8 a.m., 1045 a.m. in English or Spanish. We look forward to connecting with you. The Messages.